If you act right, you are right. If you act wrong, you are wrong. Stop running and being self-destructive. Stand still and breathe in and out. Even God can't change the past. Just say no. Friends don't offer you drugs and alcohol. People who don't want you to act right do. Be right. Be unapologetic. Unapologetic. Welcome to Unapologetic. Season 2, Episode 7, The Real War on Drugs. First and foremost, I want to say rest in peace to an artist businessman, and someone who overall exudes black excellence, Nipsey Hussle. Your death is not only a blow to the culture, but a serious blow to the black community. I cannot even begin to imagine what his loved ones are going through, but I am keeping them all in my prayers, and I encourage you all to do the same. It's a shame that I have to discuss this topic with his death lingering overhead, but it is ironically a great segue into today's discussion. The war on drugs was declared by President Nixon in 1971. He proposed many new policies in order to get things under control and even doubled the size of the federal drug control agencies. Because his presidency was under a ton of scrutiny because of the war, this was a strategic move to distract the conversation about his lack of leadership skills with a new one on the criminalization of drugs, particularly in minority communities. There's only one problem though. The communities that are being targeted by this war on drugs have no ways of transporting the amount of drugs that they are deemed to be peddling into their communities. In the words of Furious Styles from Boys in the Hood, we don't own no ships, we don't own no planes. So, how are the drugs getting into our community? That is the real question. And the answer is bigger than what meets the surface. As a black woman, this decision to criminalize drugs has a direct correlation to the assassination of the black family unit. And in this episode, I will provide an ample amount of research that coincides with my theory. The quickest way to kill a tree is to start at the roots, its foundation. And the quickest way to kill a community is to start with the leader, the king. Drugs have always been an issue for the so-called great leaders of this country, right along with immigration laws. Nixon wasn't the first to start the conversation on drugs as it relates to foreigners. In the 1870s, opiates were declared illegal due to the climb in Chinese immigrants into the United States. So, because he was already doing such an amazing job by prolonging the Vietnam War for a long-ass 13 years, Nixon reopened the drug wound and began to pour salt on it. He fought against the decriminalization of marijuana and rejected all aid in its legalization, even though there were about 11 states that decriminalized marijuana under his jurisdiction. When President Carter took his seat in office, marijuana was decriminalized for up to an ounce for personal use. Great, right? Well, Reagan wasn't having that. He swore to put it into this shit for good and his first tactic in getting drugs off the street were getting its distributors off the street. 
the number of people jailed for drug offenses increased from 50,000 in 1980 to a skyrocketing 400,000 by the end of the 1990s. Then came the rollout of all the anti-drug campaigns that we all love so much. Dare to be different, just say no, and all that other shit that took up time in place of our much needed education. These campaigns resulted in a political uproar that sparked the nation with fear. Clinton attempted to add some hope to the conversation by becoming an advocate for drug treatment instead of incarceration, but then decided to jump back on the bandwagon by rejecting a recommendation by the United States Sentencing Commission to abolish the drastic laws between crack and powder cocaine. Let me break down why this was such a key choice in the continuance of this bullshit war. Cocaine is a descendant of the coca plant, typically found in Peru, Bolivia, and Colombia. The plant version of this drug was first introduced by the Incas, who would chew on the leaves to help them better adapt with living in the Andes. Peruvians began chewing these leaves in religious ceremonies until the Spanish invaded and took control over the plant. The Germans first tested a powder form of the plant in the 1800s that magically snuck its way into the country's biggest business, the pharmaceutical industry. It was introduced as a stimulant for sexual performance and a cure for depression by Sigmund Freud, who not only prescribed it to a bunch of his loved ones, but also recommended it for general use to the rest of the world. In 1886, a man named John Pemberton got an even smarter idea for this magical drug and integrated it into America's second largest big business, food, thus bringing the beloved Coca-Cola. At the same time that this drug became a love for all, the price of importing this drug went brazy and crack first hit the scene. Instead of the powder version, this solid version was cheaper, easier, and more profitable for the drug dealers. Crack had already made a name for itself in the homeland of Colombia and made its way to the United States at a rapid speed. But it wasn't until the United Kingdom started seeing their own effects of the crack epidemic that the powers that be began to pay attention. What I concluded from this brief history is that powder cocaine was ultimately accepted by the United States government. They were using it, they were impressed with its results, and they knew if they took control of how and when it was distributed, they'd be in control of the profit that came from it. Crack was a more back alley way to distribute cocaine. The dealers ended up making the connection between high prices and a new formula themselves, which therefore allowed the streets to be in control of how it was distributed and profited. That really pissed them tight suit wearing motherfuckers off and they vowed to gain control once again. Bush came in on the end of the war, but with the same intentions. He introduced military-style raids and sought out that more than 40,000 were performed a year. As bad as they wanted our boy Barack to be involved in all this fast cuffing and quick solving, he remained an advocate for syringe access programs, laws that favor crack over powder cocaine, and ended the federal interference with marijuana laws. All very pivotal and smart decisions that didn't mean shit because now our orange president is seeking to build a wall that will allegedly be funded by a racial group that he is accusing of being the sole reason why the drugs are coming in to keep the drugs out. Honestly, 
This has been part of the plan the entire time. Yes, the coca plant is not grown in the States. Yes, the minority rates of addiction to these drugs are higher than any other nationality. But instead of wasting all of the taxpayers' dollars on jailing these men and women who seek to feed their families, why haven't the resources that we desperately need been funded in our communities? The answer is pretty fucking rhetorical, y'all. Because they don't give a fuck about us. It's not enough that we come here, learn the language, adapt to the culture, pay taxes, and say the Pledge of Allegiance every year for everything. They do not consider us to be allies or even distant siblings in this shit. Don't get me started on the amount of black men alone that are victimized over drugs just so quotas can be met. And please don't start with no black on black crime bullshit because believe me, white on white crime is just as high. This is a war on people, not drugs. If that wasn't the case, then why is the pharmaceutical industry such a big business? Those same highly addictive ingredients that we scare people into believing are only found in poor neighborhoods or around bad people are in the same pills that we push down children's throats to get them to sit still long enough to take a math test. It is all the same shit. Pills, powders, liquids. If there's going to be a war on drugs, shouldn't it be all drugs? I bet that's in America we'll never see. It seems like every time people fight back and try to take their lives back into their own hands, here comes another law or another pill or another bill to keep us all distracted. The black family image has always been in jeopardy. The moment we stepped our beautiful asses off those boats onto this land, there has been constant turmoil. It's like somebody figured out that we really got the juice and have been seeking to end us as a whole. All of this history should be enough to explain why I believe that the black family image is in trouble. But I know it ain't. It's not enough that black men are being unfairly sentenced and black boys are being murdered in the streets for looking like possible criminals. It is not enough that we are all aware that the government has had their hands dirty in this shit for a long time. It's not enough that these same elected officials are bragging and boasting about their usage of drugs. These drugs are being pumped into our communities, onto our blocks, and a timer is being set. Like I said before, the quickest way to kill a community is to start at the top by killing the king. And with the black father removed from the household, there is a lack of discipline in our black youth that seems like it can only be replaced with the love from the streets. With more kids out on the streets, there's a higher demand for illegal activities because these kids ain't old enough to get jobs or adequately deal with the issues that surround having an absentee parent. With that one move, our whole community is compromised and the government gains another notch of control. I'm not here to bash drug dealers or drug users because I get it. I get how life can be tearing you down so much that you feel like anything outside of the norm will add substance to your life, literally. I'm just here to tell you that when you do make that choice, especially as a minority, you are falling right into their trap. And I'm tired of seeing us fall victim to that shit. I know, I know, who wants to work for the white man? And all this government talk really got me sounding hotel. But let's really examine what the fuck going on and take accountability for the role we play in it. 
these white folks been doing a shitty job at holding this country together. Nothing more or less has been added by us. Trust and believe that. Let's use all that good Nipsey knowledge and use that capital we earn to make ourselves bosses and buy back our blocks and employ people in our neighborhoods so that we can be the change we want to see in the world. The system is working against us, y'all, and it's time we start working for ourselves. Episode 8, Mental Cultural Illness, will be debuting April 21st. That's April 21st at 10 a.m. Get ready for more news and more information, because I definitely ain't come to play on these last few episodes. Same time, same place. I'm your host, Juicy J, and you already know what the fuck going on.